Okay. So today we're looking at how Paul came to be an apostle. Now, when when we say the word apostle, it's really easy to imagine the 12 guys that Jesus picks, right? That one is really obvious. These 12 guys are apostles. But Paul claims that he's an apostle. And yet, he was not there before the crucifixion. So how does that happen? Paul, however, gives us an explanation here in the last half of Galatians 1. I want you to imagine for a moment. The New Testament is made up of 27 books. 27 books. 14 of them, 14 of the 27, were written by Paul. So without question, Paul is one that we owe a huge debt to as being the one who recorded the concepts and ideas that built our theology of what we know and what we believe about God. But there is a before that, and we have to look at this first. And this, by the way, is a whole study in itself. So to be brief, I'm just going to read the passage without much explanation. The story will come to you as we go through it. You've heard it before. This passage comes from Acts. And so, being written by Luke, who is Greek, it is very much just a recounting of the facts. So, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts 7, and we're going to read from 54 to 8.3, and then we're going to jump over through uh, Acts 9, 1 through 22. So Acts 7, 54 is where we're going to start. Acts 7, 54. Now this is the stoning of Stephen. And so Stephen gives his oration. And this is the result of that. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, 
He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Okay, from this point, we're going to jump down. We're going to jump down to Acts 9, and we're going to read the entire chapter of Acts 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and, and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Paul, excuse me, named Saul, for behold, he is praying. He has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who came and made havoc in Jerusalem and those who called upon his name? And he has not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus, by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is the story of Saul's conversion. And after this, by the way, Saul changes his name. Acts 13.9, the first half of the verse. Acts 
But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. So Saul changes his name to Paul. By the way, Saul is a Hebrew name, probably named after King Saul, the first king of Israel. King Saul was one of the tribe of Benjamin, and Saul was also of the tribe of Benjamin. Saul had extensive training in their scriptures. He was taught as a Pharisee. He was also a scribe, so he knew languages and could write. This was his background in the languages of the day, Aramaic, which was the current version of Hebrew at the time, Greek, and Latin. We also know that Paul was born a Roman citizen. The name Paul is the Latin name, and so Saul and Paul can switch back and forth. But after this point in Acts 13.9, he was always referred to as Paul in the New Testament. Now, a quick timeline just to frame this for us in our chronology. We think that Jesus is born in about 4 BC. Jesus begins his ministry at about age 30. Now, given the Jewish counting customs, when a child is born, the child is one. There is no zero. So, child is born is age one. So if Jesus is 30, he would be 29 by the way we figure it, all right? So 29, and he's born in 4 BC. So this is about 25 AD is when he begins his ministry. Jesus begins his ministry. All right. So with Jesus' three-year earthly ministry, Jesus is crucified in about 28 AD. We've talked about the house numbering system, streets versus blocks. And the custom at this time was that counting began with the number one. By the way, it's the Muslims that invent the number zero, and it was right at about this time that they did that because they could conceive of numbers being negative, and the Jews could actually as well. They understood debt. So if you were in debt, you owed money. However, if you were free of your debt, you could be paid money and you would be positive. And so they understood this, this concept of going from negative numbers to positive numbers, but that process was still fuzzy around the number zero. And by the way, in our calendar, we don't have a number zero. There is no year zero. You go from 1 BC to 1 AD. There's no year in between, all right? So, and we still have some artifacts of this in our, in our daily lives. I mean, we all put up with it, and we've just become accustomed to it. You go from 12.59 to 1 o'clock, right? I mean, we're used to these kinds of things, and for us, it's okay, because in our minds, it makes sense. We're used to dealing with it. Okay, this is an artifact of that. All right, now, so, Jesus is crucified in 28 AD, and the death of Stephen and the subsequent conversion of Saul, or Paul, is in about 30 or 31 AD. 
There are some scholars who believe that the date could be as late as 36 AD, but that's kind of compressing things towards the end. So I, I'm, I'm inclined to believe these earlier dates that, that um, Saul becomes converted to Christ at about 30 or 31 AD. We think Paul's first missionary journey was in the time frame of 46 to 49 AD. And there's further evidence of that as there's a Council of Jerusalem meeting that happens in 49 AD and Paul was in attendance for that meeting. And that meeting took place to resolve the salvation of the Gentiles issue. And so Peter and Paul are there in order to present the case that the Gentiles are saved also and not just the Jews. All right. So all of this... Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Saul converts to Christianity. We have the facts of Paul's first missionary journey in 46 AD. So what happens to Paul in the gap between 30 AD and 46 AD? And we're going to talk about that. Okay, with all of this as background on Paul, we start this week's passage on Galatians 1, and we're going to go 11 to 24. So Galatians 1... 11 to 24. So, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Paul points out here that the gospel he delivers is not a gospel of man. We have many philosophies that were manufactured by people. And they are all self-contradictory and almost always take the position of lifting oneself up by your own bootstraps. They teach discipline and self-righteousness and take a position of being unable to explain the fundamental human condition. These human philosophies focus on self. Only Judeo-Christianity thought, Christian thought, teaches of an eternal perfection and the created universe is subject to complete corruption and in need of some external salvation. And this is the gospel that Paul brings. We've talked about Abraham and Isaac. And we, that keeps coming up over and over. God will supply the lamb. God indeed has to supply the lamb because there is no substitute that is adequate. And this is why Jesus has to come. And this is why Jesus is the only one that makes sense in the salvation of people. No other religion has that. Continuing on, verse 12. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul did not create this gospel that he is preaching. It was delivered to him by the Lord himself. And this is what Paul had to confront on the road to Damascus. And it was because of this event that Paul calls himself an apostle. And this will come up here shortly. Verse 13, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently 
and tried to destroy it. The story of Paul in his former life as a persecutor of Christianity was famous. You have heard of my former life. Paul was zealous in his persecution of the Christians. And this was why Ananias was afraid to go talk to him. But Lord, Ananias went anyway. Verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Notice that Paul says he was zealous for Jewish tradition. Nowhere in this statement is a zeal for the righteousness of God. The desires and plans of the creator of the universe are not present in this statement. Paul says, and I was advancing in Judaism. I. Verses 15 and 16. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Here, here in these two verses, notice that the hand of God and the will of the Lord is very strong here in these verses. Notice that this was not a choice that Paul was going to make. This was God revealing Jesus to Paul. And Paul cannot do anything except to accept grace from the Lord. In the Reformed tradition, we believe that when we are confronted with the beauty and the mercy and the grace of Jesus, we cannot do anything but receive the gospel. This is not a decision on our part. And this is why we have the five solas that are from the Reformation. In Latin, sola is only. And so the five solas are by scripture alone, by Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, and glory to God alone. Notice in there it does not say anything about by my choice, nor does it say added by my choice. That's, that's not important. If you are confronted with the beauty and the grace and the mercy of Jesus in its full entirety, you have no choice but to accept Jesus. It is just that simple. This is why Paul can say, from before when I was born, God had selected me. This is exactly the Reformed tradition. And that was lost along the way in the church. Somewhere in the entire lineage that comes from Rome, that got lost. And there is this great focus on humanity and what people think and what people care about. And there is no focus on what is it God cares about. 
What is God's plan? What is the will of the Lord? Verse 17, Paul explaining, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul continues on explaining what was done and what happened. And that trip to Arabia was not a short one. Verse 18, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Cephas is the Latin name for Peter. This is Peter. Peter's name, by the way, you, you, you all know this. Petrus is rock, right? And, and so Peter is the rock. Um, given Peter's behavior in, in much of the New Testament, you can see Peter as being the hard-headed guy, right? That's just the way Peter was. Peter, Peter would rush in to do things without thinking about what he should be doing, perhaps. And we love Peter for that because he, he just does things. That's just the way he's wired. So Paul goes to visit Peter and remain with him just 15 days, two weeks. The three years in Arabia, searching the scriptures, looking for Jesus in the Old Testament, doing what we did as we worked our way through Isaiah, Paul did the same thing, looking for Jesus and finding him in there. And then Paul goes to visit Peter. Continuing on, verse 19. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Okay. So Paul visits only two apostles. Notice that right here. Paul calls Peter an apostle. No surprise there. But he says the same of James, the half-brother of Jesus, that he is also an apostle. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now recall, James, the half-brother of Jesus, did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. Matthew 13, 53 to 58. Matthew 13, 53 to 58. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? 
Where then did this man get these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Mark 6, 1 through 6. Mark 6, 1 through 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? <coughs> and they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. James did not believe his half-brother Jesus was the Christ. When did James change his mind? Paul tells us. 1 Corinthians 15.7 Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Jesus appears to James just as Jesus appeared to Paul. And last year, this James ends up writing the epistle of James to us, which is a very concise letter on practical Christianity. And so this is when James becomes an apostle. Interestingly, the church felt it was necessary for there to be a representative of the Christian church in Jerusalem. And so they select James to do that job. So James is given the job of going to Jerusalem to represent Christianity in Jerusalem. And Peter stays in Antioch to represent Christianity there. So continuing on, verse 20. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Paul is claiming divine authorship of the words that he is writing. Continuing on, verses 21 and 22. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. It was difficult for people to trust Paul because of his previous reputation as a persecutor of the church, and it would take a long time for people to end up trusting Paul. Verse 23, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Paul's reputation in his later years took on a very different tone. 
The epistles of Paul are the standards of our faith today and do much to inform our theology. Much of the Reformed Church's beliefs are heavily colored by the writings of Paul. And the last verse in the chapter, And they glorified God because of me. Indeed, Paul the evangelist did much to spread the faith. And Paul's work as the messenger is responsible for all of us being here today. Stop and think about it. Paul goes and spreads the news to the Gentiles, to Rome. Rome spreads Christianity through all of Europe. And, of course, our particular traditions come out of northern Europe, is where the Reformed tradition begins. That is how all of us come to be here today. Paul comes into the Christian faith and leaves a tremendous wealth of scripture to read and understand who Jesus is and how faith works. Paul is our guidebook to Christian theology. And Paul's work reaches out to the church. The collective God's people are saved. Jesus is proclaimed to the faithful amongst the Gentiles. Jesus and his church. We are that church. We are cherished and celebrated by the Lord. We are the bride, and we are the new Jerusalem. Paul is protecting the Galatians with his letter. He proclaims the true thing has come from the Lord. The Lord makes the paths of righteousness and justice, and God is bringing in all the church. And all this division that is coming in from these other people saying you have to do these things to become a Jew first before you can become a Christian is just noise. And Paul is saying, do not listen to them. That's why Paul is protecting the Galatians. God has done it all. The Lord is wholly just and the Lord is wholly faithful. And God knows the only way that sin can be atoned for, for the redemption of God's people, for the salvation of God's people. And this is the message Paul is yelling at the Galatians. And he's yelling at me too. God knows the one who can pay for all sins from eternity past through the present to eternity in the future. God knows, and God knows only his son is just and true and can stand in the gap to cover all the sins of God's people. Jesus is the one. That's why I repeat every single week, talking about Jesus, the servant, how he is the crown prince, how he sat at the right hand of the Lord, the Father, and was sent down for his earthly mission to die in our place, and rose again. You can just imagine how the devil was celebrating that moment when Jesus dies. I killed him. You can just imagine what that was like. And three days later, when Jesus rises again. Jesus is the one. Not created, not made, 
forever eternal. Jesus is the one that comes. He is the servant, the Son of God and the eternal King. Not created, not made, and forever sovereign. Let's pray. Almighty God, how amazing to see the trials that Paul went through. How he must have struggled with that. The human struggle. I can almost hear the, Lord, I'm doing your mission. Why me? Why am I being struck down? How little is our understanding, Heavenly Father? And how great is Jesus to cover all of that for all of us, for all time, and allow us to come into your kingdom to celebrate forever, singing praise and worship to you. How incredible, how beautiful, how amazing. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of your plan that your Son would come and die in our place and cover all of our sins and how we can celebrate your Son's death for freeing us and allowing us to be there. And you're resurrecting your son as the promise, shining forever eternal, seated at your right hand so that we can sing and bring praise and honor and glory to you. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. Lord, burn these words of Paul on our hearts so that we understand more clearly what Jesus has done for us. And we ask this in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen.